You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle, alongside Eagle sports editor Robert Cessna. It's been a pretty slow time around here in Aguilar. Not, not, not much going on. No, there's coaches coming in, going out, mm. craziness as they get prepared. The A&M football team, that is, gets prepared for the Texas Bowl against Oklahoma State. I mean, you know, the the for the for the majority of this week, we didn't even know who was going to be coaching the Aggies in the bowl game because uh, interim head coach Elijah Robinson took a job up at Syracuse to be the defensive coordinator. Uh, and it, we didn't get a press conference with the Texas bowl until a day or two ago. So uh, you, you hypothesized or, or, or opined on the fact that maybe they'd bring in RC Slocum or do something kind of crazy like that. But we, we do know now Elijah Robinson is, is going to be the guy, which is, a little bit of a, a confusing thing in this day and age of college football to have a guy who is a, known to be a great recruiter who is basically already on the books and recruiting for another school still serving as the interim head coach for the Aggies right now. Yeah, I'd have missed that one. I miss so many things, and I guess that's why a lot of people can relate to me because Cease is usually <laughs> wrong. And I'm thinking there's no way Elijah Robinson is going to be the interim coach because he's working for Syracuse. He's I guess he's still on A&M payroll, but his future payroll is definitely Syracuse. His success or not is going to be based on what happens to those Syracuse kids, not A&M kids. So I, I really got mixed thoughts as a journalist looking at this. I love the fact when he got done with that interview with us, you go, man, you got to love this guy. This guy is just – he is who he is. Uh, he's very warm. You can see why players would run through a brick wall for him. But then I'm thinking, and the bottom line is, when he takes off that last T-shirt, it says Syracuse. He's going to Syracuse, not A&M. And I get it. He wants to do these guys right, do these things. And I get it. They're playing a game that no one matters. But he's going to spend 15 more practices or some of those in a game with guys that might say, you know, I'm going to go play with him. I mean, he's a great guy. And and I get it. He says, make the new coaches see what's going on here. And, and the bottom line, let's be honest, folks, it's you got to do what you feel best. And I, I, I applaud Elijah Robinson for what he's doing. I do not know if, if keeping him here is the right choice or not. You can mm -hmm. say, well, yeah, it is Cessna, but I could also say it's not. So it's probably um, – I don't want to make a mole, a mountain out of a molehill. Just accept it. Everybody said this is a good thing. So I guess embrace and go on. Yeah, you kind of answered my next question there in that so much revolving around the the narrative of hiring Mike Elko was he's a guy who recruited a lot of these players. So you have a chance of keeping a lot of these guys here. And he's a guy who who offered a job and hired Elijah Robinson. And Elijah Robinson was a priority uh, keeping him here. Is it a... Is it a little bit of a swing and a miss to kind of start this thing out by by not retaining him when so much of talking about why Elko is the right fit here was that you could keep Elijah Robinson? I'm with you 100%. I, I'm a little older than you. Okay, I, say a lot older, <laughs> I hope <laughs> a lot older than you. And everybody's going to look like, well, what happened to the guy? Because let's be honest, people are saying, well, what if they'd hired Dabo Sweeney? If he'd have said yes instead of Jimbo, where would that situation be? They're going to say, well, what if they'd hire Mark Stoops instead of Elko? And they're going to say, we, have a new, we don't know who the new D.C. is, but a lot of people are going to say is, 
what if they would have hired possibly Elijah Robinson? A lot of guys that are my age and I know are Aggies would say, what if we'd have hired Urban Meyer when he wanted to come here, but A&M wouldn't have hired him and let him go to Utah and whatever? And that's just the way life is. You mm. hope you make the right choice. I one time could have been a teacher in Pennsylvania or take a job in Texas. I came to Texas, and here I am glad I made that choice. And Aggies are hoping they're saying, man, I'm glad Elko's here. Man, I'm glad Elko hired Clowen Klein. Man, I'm glad Elko hired Mr. X as defensive corner. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, let's shift focus a little bit. I know uh, I wrote a little bit last week about Elko going out and uh, glad hand and shaking hands, uh, kissing babies amongst the Texas high school uh, coaches, especially the local coaches, and that there's this kind of newfound respect and mending of bridges between A&M and the Texas High School Coaches Association. When I talked to a couple of the coaches here in town, they said, I've talked to Mike Elko more than I've talked to ever talked to Jimbo Fisher, and Mike Elko has only been here a week. I talked to Joe Martin over the Texas High School Coaches Association, and he he made no mince no word saying that th- there was a strain between the coaches association and Jimbo Fisher's staff because Jimbo Fisher liked to go around the high school coaches to other family members to. Uh, seven-on-seven coaches, not do what they call straight-line recruiting, um, and that angered them. You have a longer, deeper history with the Coaches Association and A&M football. Why is it important that Mike Elko is starting to mend some of those fences and uh, mend some of those bridges between some of these coaches? And in his statements talking about not only is it for A&M's purposes in recruiting, but it's also, Elko says he sees himself, he sees A&M as um, a a learning ground, a lab of sorts for those Texas high school coaches to continue to develop their craft and and continue to make football really good in this state. You know, uh, Mike Elko and I share the fact is we're both from Pennsylvania. And I thought when I grew up, Pennsylvania football is maybe some of the best in the nation, which it is. But then you come to Texas, and you go out and you see these high school football stadiums, and you see these high school football coaches from Rungi to Snook uh, up to Aledo, they pour their heart and soul into the community. And then you see what they do for the community, what they do for the kids. And Jimbo was so wrong not to reach out to the Texas high school coaches. R.C. Slocum was R.C. Slocum because he realized – how important the Texas high school coaches were. Uh, Mac Brown came in here and won a national championship because he knew how important the Texas high school coaches are. Uh, I get, like you said, I've covered high schools a long time. You don't realize how many high school football coaches that are out there that never played a lick of college football, but they also graduated from Texas A&M. I mean, Texas A&M is one of the beacons and should be when it comes to high school football or Texas high school football. And Elko is taking the exact path you should. If you're Steve Sarkissian, you're doing that. If you're McGuire in Texas Tech, you have to. The Texas high school coaches, this is what makes Texas, to me, what it is. Texas high school football is, 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 is a religion around here. And uh, put God first, but Texas, Texas high school football is very close. It's Let's put it, they're in the heavens. 
and Jimbo was very naive. I get it. Florida's good, too. I've been to Florida. Mm-hmm. Florida is great football, too. But nobody, when you look at the thousand high schools or whatever, high school football in Texas, and when you get around, like you mentioned, you got guys, Martin, and I've seen so many over the years, whether you're a Merrill Green, whether you're a Gary Joseph, whatever, they are Mark Fannin now in, in Franklin. They pour their whole life into making our youth better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, there are seven on seven coaches and private advisors. And a lot of those guys can do really good things for some of these athletes. But it, it, it's there. If you want to look at the worst of the situations, those guys are financially incentivized by getting these guys to just whatever the, 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 the highest profile spot is. The Texas high school football coaches, they're paid to win football games at the high school and, and to enrich and, and help grow these the young men and women they coach uh, those lives. And when you look at football, part of that is getting them not only to to a college if they have that, but the best fit for them, it's just, there's just that less of a financial incentive um, to, to go in there and, and, and stereotypically a, a, a more, um, a better outlook for the, the student athlete um, with those high school coaches than, than the seven on sevens or the private advisors. Or, I mean, that's the reason why they yeah. started getting into the straight line recruiting thing is because they, the coaches, the college coaches, the high school association um, sensed that there was just some bad actors in some of these third party uh, organizations. You know, if you're a Tim Buchanan, all those years in Alito, you're looking out for those Alito kids. I mean, Ross Rogers looked out for those, whether it was at Harker Heights or Wall or, or A&M Consultant. You have so many coaches like that. Yeah, you could say, oh, Cessna, Randy Allen and those guys in Highland Park, he's making six figures. But you know what he's investing with those six figures, what he does for those kids, the mentor he is for those mm-hmm. kids, what he does for those communities. And you could go every one of those. Uh, the guy that finally won a state championship, I drew a blank, like he spent 40 years over. Uh, samples? Uh, you know, I'm talking. No, him, no, yeah. Him also, yeah. and, and the 3A guy, it, he's a good one too, right? Mm-hmm. Reginald Samples. These people are, th- th- you can't put a price tag on what they've meant to their community. And, and you're right, Travis, to bypass and go to these guys that are getting uh, some shoe contract or some uh, jersey contract so that they're coaching these guys to send them to Florida, to send them to AM. These guys are just worried about the community. They are a product of their community and not, not the uh, Texas high school football. I, I, you'll never hear me say anything bad about it. You know, just – it is what it is. And it is worth noting when you look at the 12 guys that A&M have in the transfer portal right now, a lot of them part of they, they you know a lot of people want to argue recruiting wasn't a problem under Jimbo Fisher because they had that big class, but that class didn't turn into wins. And you look at the transfer portal now, 11 of the 12 are from outside of Texas outside, that outside are uh, uh, leaving to so a little bit more of a focused recruiting in Texas could pay dividends for the Aggies moving forward under Elko. We've, we've gone all this way and we haven't you've only briefly mentioned and i think you actually called him calvin klein the uh the fashion designer I did, yeah, didn't I? colin klein the offensive coordinator uh uh, he, uh, uh, uh Jim, mike elko brought him in to be the offensive coordinator from kansas state of course uh, a guy who was a a legend at quarterback up there for the wildcats shared a heisman finalist stage with johnny manzel in 2012 what do you make of uh, this this hire you know you always want to pay to pay the act 
paint the positive, whether you're a writer covering the beat or whether you're a fan. And you, you can paint a lot of positive for Mr. Klein. Let me just say that so I get his, get his <laughs> name right. But I'll It's remember, Colin with two L's, too. Two L's. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I, I do remember uh, covering that game when AM lost 53-50. And to me, he was represented Kansas State. You talk about representing your state, whether you're Texas – he was hard-nosed. They knocked him down four times, hit him I don't know how many other times, but he found a way to win the game, five touchdowns. I always remember uh, Colin Klein being so tough, and that's what you want. That's what Elko is. He's tough. He, he's a new breed of coordinators. I, I think he's got a lot of old school in him, so I'll, I'll hold judgment. Of, is he going to be excessive? Or not? I hope he is, but I don't know. But I can tell you from – that little bit of watching him as as a player, and then he was up at the Heisman. You know, he's just a good old boy, uh, down to earth, got great values, a hard worker. Uh, Aggies are going to love him. Now, they hope they love his offense, too. And, and not surprising to me that Elko hired a guy like that. It, it reminds me of a little bit, and we were talking about this earlier, of, of what – people thought Jimbo's offense was going to be when he first got here. And that is, uh, you know, hard nose running the ball, some ball possession. Uh, one, one of the highest accolades that Klein has coming into this is the ability, his, his quarterbacks don't turn the ball over. I think from 2017, when he started at Kansas state as the quarterbacks coach through this season, they've had the second fewest interceptions of, of any uh, program in the country. I think Oklahoma was the fewest, uh, and so that lends itself well to a defensive-minded head coach and a defensive-minded program probably moving forward uh, that, that you keep the other team's offense, you help your defense, you play a little bit more complimentary football. It's different, though, because it is, it is simple in the ways that Jimbo's offense wasn't, it seems like, and it's more complex in other ways. When you look at the kind of complex uh, – uh, combinations of blocking run blocking schemes uh and you know different pulls different ways that they run the ball jet sweeps things like that it it reminds me of that rpo heavy fun college offense um but it it, it it's going to run the ball a lot and the only concern i have and this was probably going to be the concern no matter who the offensive coordinator was is they're going to have to really upgrade that offensive line to be able to run this kind of offense. Cause when you think of Kansas state football, it's hard nose ground and pound, you know, corn fed football with good offensive lines. A&M's going to have to upgrade there to be able to, to run any offense, but let alone the one that you would think he would bring here. It's interesting. You look at A&M since they joined the sec. We always talk about sec being a line of scrimmage league. They make a big splash with Johnny Manziel and someone's offense. Uh, they have great offensive linemen, uh, get a lot of high-powered scores, but only for two years the defense sucked under Sumlin. So then Fisher comes in, a guy that knows, been in the SEC, line of scrimmage, you got to win the line of scrimmage, makes a big hit by hiring Elko. You can really say since Elko the last six years, defense hasn't been a problem for A&M in the line of scrimmage. Jimbo got the line of scrimmage right, but he did do it on his side that matters, the offense. Jimbo came in, and for six years, he couldn't get the offense uh, you know, answered. He did the first two years with someone's recruits, but then with his recruits, he couldn't get the O-line right. He mm -hmm. couldn't get the offense right. And that just kind of puzzled me. I was marveled at that because that was his forte offense. You'd think mm -hmm. if there was one thing was going to be good, 
And he has this great defensive line he goes out with, maybe one of the better ones in the nation, but he couldn't put anything with it. Now Elko comes in, and like you said, I think this is obviously a huge hire because he knows you got to move the ball in the SEC with with what you said, all that kind of offense. So he thinks uh, Klein's going to be that guy. So it'll be very interesting to see if Elko, a defensive-minded coach, can kind of succeed where long-term Sumlin couldn't, Fisher couldn't. Yeah. Uh, Also interesting, Klein is – only been a coach really at his alma mater. He had one season at I think Northern Iowa before he Correct. he he came back, and so or shows 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 a seems like a willingness there to to grow and maybe want to take a head coaching role down the line. Uh, be otherwise, why not stay comfortable at your your alma mater and uh, uh, kind of become a, a a a lifer there? It, it, it's a it's an interesting step from that perspective. And you're right. I, always being a journalist, I'll take devil's advocate. You're right. Because if you want to be a like Robinson gone up to Syracuse, it's great on your resume. I can remember when Dino Babers, Babers came here, people my age. I go, Dino, why did you come? He said, my resume, working with R.C. Slocum, that looks so great on your resume. And then when you look at Klein, but then I always laugh. I can remember, I thought Dan Hawkins was a great coach, up-and-comer at Boise State, what he did. Went to Colorado, couldn't get it done. Sometimes these coaches take the next step. Uh, you could say Fran couldn't get it done. We took the next step to Alabama two good years, but then it, it did it well at TCU, but not at A&M. Sometimes it's hard to take that next step. So it'll be interested to see if Klein can come in here and have success as an OC in the SEC does that for two or three years. He's on his way. Here's the other thing I was thinking about the other day, too. You look at all of the people that Jimbo Fisher hired to work with the offense, whether it was Petrino, Daryl Dickey, um, even Damian Craig to some extent, and then especially uh, Adazio, the offensive line. The average age of coach was was up there uh, with that. Colin Klein coming in is 34. That's one of the youngest offensive coaches they've had here in a while going back to cliff kingsbury probably uh be the young the first time i'll be covering one of the major coaches in football that's younger than me uh in there bringing some of that 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 seems to be a trend around football even in the nfl too and they're gonna they're moving skewing a little bit younger here uh to get a little bit more of that energy maybe or or some new modern ideas I'm with you 100% because you've gone from the guys who are getting the senior discounts at Roses in a lot of places <laughs> to now he's going to get carded at a couple of places he might go, which is good because you got to relate to the kids. It is a kid's game, and uh, I would argue that's why when some of these guys, when you see that longevity like uh, Mac Brown, he adjusts to young kids, I think uh, – Mr. Saban adjusts by hiring Deese, a young offensive coordinator from Notre Dame. He comes in, had a good year. you got to be able to adjust. And the older ones that are having success are adjusting. I, I give them kudos. And once again, you look at what Elko's done. He's thinking like, hey, I need to have somebody that the young guys can relate to that can get it done. So from that standpoint, I check the boxes on those. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Basketball season is is actually kind of gearing, we're right in the middle of non-conference, heading towards the downhill, t- towards uh, conference play. Uh, what's your, uh, your, your, your Reader's Digest on where the A&M women's basketball team is right now? Well, right now they're on the inside looking at, outside looking in on Charlie Cream's ESPN Bractology. He's the number one guy for women's sports. 
Uh, the race is really wide open. You even look at LSU, the defending champ. They've, they've lost a game. Iowa's lost a game. And, of course, A&M doesn't need to worry about that. Uh, South Carolina hasn't. But they're, they're in that mix. They're, they, they could be, uh, they should be, make the NCAA tournament this year. Are they good enough to be a Sweet 16? Not yet, but we'll wait and see. But last year they weren't even good enough to make the top uh, – you know, 16 almost in SEC, and there's only 14 teams or whatever. So, you know, it was a, it was a tough year. So things have improved. Uh, that's what you want to see. And uh, right now they've got a lot of exciting players, a lot of transfers, a little bit of – got more talent, more experience, and we know Joni Taylor's a pretty darn good coach. Can't win without experience and talent. And on the men's side, with a one-game sample size of their drubbing of, of DePaul last night, it, it did seem like – the intense road schedule that Buzz Williams and his staff put together to start out this season got to them once they hit Virginia. They, they looked tired. Their legs weren't quite under them. They shot 17% from the three-point line, just weren't shooting well. They, and it really, at the back end of that stretch, um, they, they weren't shooting well, but they are the number one offensive rebounding team in the country, and they're third in the country in second-chance points per game. So they weren't making shots, but they are able to get the rebounds and, and put the layups back, and that's how they were winning ball games. They have a, a week of rest and practice, and they come out and play DePaul, which is not a good team compared to a lot of the – especially compared to a lot of teams that have been playing. And they had 11 three-pointers in the first half and finished with 14, which is too shy of the, the, the program record. I don't know if it's going to be that feast or famine moving forward, but it does seem like when they hit a more consistent home and away schedule here in the next couple of weeks, but also once you hit conference play, um, that routine and rhythm might help them a little bit because they've been traveling as much as they've been home uh, early in the season and haven't had that time to get in the gym, work on shots, work on practice. It's kind of just been game plan and go here on out. So the next couple games are going to be pretty interesting. I'll be curious to see if they keep that really hot shooting form or if it was a one-off. Um, because if, if it, they are able to keep some semblance of that, uh, that that's looking pretty good moving forward. And not to mention they've done all this without Tyrese Radford, um, who missed the left the FAU game a little bit early uh, with some breathing issues, some kind of illness that's actually kept him out um, for the last two games. Uh, he w didn't play last night either. So the, getting him back is going to be a huge boost. Um, but I'm, I'm still not sure if this is a bad shooting team that rebounds really well and can stay in games that way, or if it's a pretty decent shooting team that just lost their legs uh, at the end of a eight-game November um, this, this season. I'm looking forward to the game against Houston next week mm -hmm. because I think you hit on a lot of things. They did a lot of things on the road to get a high-ranking high in, in net rankings. you got to do that early. you got to start out strong. Because we all know, except uh, football is any sport in the last game, you can jump from seventh to third. In basketball, it's hard to go from a, a 10 seed to a 7 seed mm -hmm. in the last tournament or whatever. So the, the, these, these games matter. So Buzz did a great job. But 
He'll have a week off. He's back home. So I'm, I'm interested to see how they do in that U of H game because it's down there. Yeah, especially. And U, U of H is known for how they defend ball screens. Correct. And so much of A&M's offense with Wade Taylor and Henry Coleman is predicated off of the high ball screen. They're going to have to change their offense around a little bit in that one uh, and give them some different looks because uh, that, that's not a good matchup for them if they're just going to rely on the high ball screen, the high pick and roll game uh, in that game. But um, it, it's... It's going to be good to see them get uh, Tyrese Radford back. He's going to be able to uh, provide them um, some scoring. And um, uh, the, the other thing, too, you mentioned the net rankings. They start out at 15, uh, and they have a 2-2 um, two and two record against quad one teams. They already have two quad one wins, and their only losses are against quad one teams. If you want to look at last year when the seeding was such an argument in the tournament, they didn't get their first quad one win until January 11th against Missouri in conference play. So they already have two before conference play even begins, and they're going to be able to get a, a ton more once the conference slate starts because the SEC is usually so... Um, so good uh, come that time of year. So they're in a much better position if they win the games that they're supposed to win uh, to, to give themselves a p- chance to be, get a good seed. It's just going to be a fun time of basketball around here because mm-hmm. the women should be back in the tournament. A&M is bucking for a, for a high seed, possibly get a sweet 16 or better. So once uh, Mike Elko gets his team uh, staff in place and can show up to a Saturday basketball game to go ahead and be introduced <laughs> to the crowd – uh, he'll be doing it at a pretty good basketball game because there'll be a reason to come to the basketball game other than to see Mike Elko. Yeah, and I, I don't think Mike Elko is going to promise the largest attended spring game because I think that's what Jimbo did uh, in his uh, basketball introduction. Good and, point. And then he probably won't attempt a Southern accent like Brian Kelly did at LSU. So, well, I'm, I'm very interested. This, this, how the basketball introduction, basketball game introduction goes has kind of become a, a thing in college football. We'll see how that goes. Shoot the, uh, shoot the T-shirt gun at halftime. We get Elka to do that. There you go, the, the big T-shirt cannon. That thing is scary. Like, I'm thinking it's going to hit my computer or something. And then, and then Mike Elka turn around and shoot it into the media section and see if he hits you or Brent <laughs> or Olin or see who he hits. Yeah, there you go. Well, I think that's about all the time we have this week for the My Aggie Nation podcast. Hit a lot of subjects this week. Um, be sure to continue to check theeagle.com as we uh, round out the Texas A&M football staff and the transfer portal takes shape. We have early signing period uh, coming up soon. So all that fun stuff. And then, of course, men's and women's basketball uh, continue their trek into the holiday season. Uh, so for Robert Sesson, I'm Travis Brown. This is the My Aggie Nation podcast, and we'll see you next week. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, the way to must have seems. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good love ain't easy, girl, we know that's true. But if we want to keep it, we gotta watch everything that we do. Make sure you're sticking with me. But I wanna make sure that we'll be all that we can be, all that we can 